1: As I was listening to the intro song, Set Me Free by Casting Crowns, it just reminded me of the people we talk to who are in bondage to sexual sin or pornography or promiscuity or maybe they've been committing adultery and their marriages are being torn apart. And then what he said in that song about, is anybody hearing me? Uh, That's what we, that cry we hear a lot from people who come to us often sometimes they'll say like they're sharing their stories with us for the very first time, at least in total. And and so today we're going to be talking about going rogue. And what I mean by that is a rogue Christian, and you maybe you've heard me talk about this before, is what I call a biblical Christian. And maybe you think, well, hey, I go to a church that studies the Bible, isn't that a biblical church? Nor am a biblical Christian? But, you know, if you look down to Scripture, we have to, we have to align our lives with what the Bible says and not what the church says, because sometimes the church can be off. So, for example, in Revelations 2 and 3 and 1 Corinthians 5, Jesus busted two of the churches for not dealing with sexual issues, and then 1 Corinthians 5... Paul freaked out because uh, of the sexual sin of one man. (laughs) So when you add up all the numbers today showing that two-thirds of Christian men and 70 to 74 percent of our youth are watching porn, um, a rogue church would be jumping into those issues. They wouldn't be running away from them just for the sake of keeping people comfortable. And then in Acts 2.42 – Actually, through the whole book of Acts, we know they were devoted to prayer, fellowship, and teaching, not teaching and a rock band. So they were meeting for prayer all the time. Could you imagine in your American modern worship service having an entire service devoted to prayer? But that's how the early church began with seven days of prayer. That, to me, is a biblical or a rogue church. And then we who are rogues, we want to equip our people to be fighters and warriors and overcomers. We want to talk openly about the darkness around us so we can help people, people understand the desperate need to look at all these issues and to help people understand how to, what spiritual warfare is about and that a lot of our youth are getting ensnared in the occult. So again, a rogue church and a real cro- Christian doesn't want to hide from any of this stuff. And we don't retire. We don't buy into the idea of the American concept of retirement. We know we have one life to live. And Jesus talked about the parable of the talents, meaning I'm going to summarize it. Basically, that we, we ha- how we spend our time, we're going to have to give account for. So I want to be broken bread and poured out wine until the very end of my life. I don't want to spend the last 10 or 20 years putzing around the house or wasting my time. Not that there can't be rest or fun or vacations, but that's not going to be the major thrust of my life. And then about being a real Christian about is about having a passionate love relationship with the Lord. You know, Jesus would often go away for a whole night of prayer or away to a desolate, desolate place. And I love going to the desert alone for a couple of days alone with the Lord. And the way we bring that passionate love relationship to fruition, the way we set it on fire is with dedicated moments of prayer. And certainly, rogue churches do not hide sexual abuse, which is going on all the time. The Southern Baptists have been sticking their foot in their mouth for years over this issue, and it keeps coming to light. And But not just the Southern Baptists. A lot of churches is being exposed. So today we're going to be talking about going rogue with my friend, Jim Tilley from Michigan. Jim, welcome to the program.
2: Well, thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate that. Great to be here.
1: So tell me, Jim, what is your take on this whole idea of a rogue Christian?
2: <laughs> wow. Well, outstanding. Uh, Mike. I um and I want to tell your listeners, you're not <laughs> you're not paying me a dime to say this, but the truth is, uh, Uh, The books you've put together are uh, flamingly incredible. And what's incredible about them um, is that they are a searchlight, a spotlight on really the biblical call. And I think, you know, Jesus said in in John 4, I I want people to worship me in spirit and in truth. And I think those two books, and, and your ministry, Mike, and we've gotten to know each other some, I also pray with Mike's team's On Wednesday mornings, and we have a phenomenal time. Um, But my take on it is simply this, that we need to understand that the world of flesh and the devil are attacking, and one of the main things the devil does in every generation is try to make the church an artificial husk of what it's called to be. You know, if you've ever seen a cicada, those are like these insects that can burrow out of their shell and arms, and legs, and a cicada shell left behind looks just like a cicada, but it's empty and hollow. And every generation is going to do that to the church. Well, we in our American pride, and again, Mike, you, 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 I think you did a phenomenal job in, in your books of spotlighting. You know, the church has not said, hey, are we getting corrupted by the world of flesh the devil? Have we become a, a phony, false, hollow cicada? And I believe with all my heart with you, uh, brother, that, that we have. And the answers, you know, are many, and you outline them in the book. But at it, 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 the core of it is falling down before God and saying, God, I want to be a real lover of yours. I want to live the truth and love in this flaming, affectionate, personal relationship with you. And I'm not there yet, Lord, and I can't do it. So, yeah, no pretense, no hold bar, hold bars, you know, band but um, you know, don't worry if people are telling you you're taking this Jesus thing too far. And when I read that in your book, Mike, I said, "I've got my soul, buddy, here." <laughs> you know, because I've had hit, I've gotten hit with that a lot. But but you cannot take it anywhere as far as where Jesus wants to take. It. Mm-hmm. So a spotlight on the truth on what we need to do. We've failed. We've become the hollow, hollow cicada. But God is wanting to make us real again, and we need to spend our lives. Totally for that vision. That would be my nutshell, Mike. Mm.
1: So what is your take on how we become a hollow shell?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think really failing to stop, read the Bible unvarnished, and get to prayer. And it's like, look, you know, let's realize there's blinders on me. You know, and A.W. Tozer was right when he said the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And to say, look, Lord, that's got to be distorted. Show me your word and show me in prayer who you really are, who I really am. And then, Lord, I want to just say, <clears throat> you know, I will do anything to be that person you see in me to be for your glory. So it takes honesty. It takes a band of brothers and sisters to do exactly what you said in uh, The Way of the Rogue Christian and in The Rogue about, you know, let's get down to saying, hey, I want to be real before God, but I'm going to fail. I'm going to get distracted. Love me enough to speak the truth of love, you know, and I'm going to go after really being that. I don't care how it hurts. I don't care how it's humiliating. You know, Mike, I think a lot of where we got into being the the, the hollow cicada is fear. Fear and idolatry. We're afraid. We're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid of of what other people say about going rogue. We're afraid. And we worship people pleasing. We make it an idol. And we make ourselves an idol. It's a pride. I know how to do this. And Mike, in my life, I didn't I didn't ever really believe I knew how to do this. I ran to me because I was so broken, Genesis 3-wise. I didn't want to really trust God. I wanted to trust Jim and his fears and his terrors. But I got sufficiently sick of it. I think to go rogue, you got to get sick enough to get well enough. Everybody always laughs about the Jesus asked the guy, you know, in John 5, do you wish to get well? And we're like, "Shaw, what do you mean? He's been sick for 38 years. Where do you want to get well? But, Mike, we don't we rather cling to our lies, our illusions, our addictions, our phoniness, because we feel safer there. But you know what? You're going to die there. I mean, sailing out into the ocean as a rogue, dangerous. But sitting in a harbor and rotting, that's the greatest danger of all. Mm-hmm. So, But it takes a couple of people to encourage, because independently, I think, our fire goes out. Together, though, we can keep each other white hot. And to say, I don't care about my pretense. I don't care about how good I look. I don't give a rip about that. I want to be real, even if it kills me, which it will, you know, and, and all your stories in the, the Way of the Rogue, and there's a billion others, are awesome. I, I heard, I want to throw this in before I forget, I heard Helen Roosevelt speak at mm. Urbana 76 that you referred to in your book, and that was a game changer for me. I was doing what you said. I was just taking little doses of Jesus to come for me and get me through the day. When Helen Roosevelt and Elizabeth Elliot spoke, my life was wrecked for God it really was I mean you know and so that point you point out where Helen says and I remember her saying this because I was right there yeah this is the privilege of sharing in my sufferings Helen abused and raped this is the privilege of sharing in my these are not yours these are mine my sufferings don't you want it and neither she or Elizabeth Elliot nor any missionary has ever regretted I sacrificed too much for Jesus never A lot of people, I've been a pastor, a lot of people, I was on my deathbed Mike, and boy, I'll tell you, they had a lot of regrets about what they didn't risk. Not a person ever said, I went all for Jesus, but I regret it. Mm. Never, not once.
1: And for our listeners who haven't heard of Helen Rosevere, she was a missionary in Africa, and she was taken captive and beaten, and then she was raped. And then um, I think if I remember right, she went back home, but then she went back to Africa and um, she set up an even bigger hospital than she had before and she's kept going at it. And really an amazing story.
2: It really is. It really is.
1: And, you
2: know, those are the stories we remember, you know. Who remembers Joe Blow with his Lamborghini? And who cares? But we remember Helen. We remember Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her... Husband Jim to the Waudani uh Savage Indians, that are a very vicious tribe in uh, in South America, as you know, Mike. Um, she came back to the United States after her husband was speared for the gospel, and got a call to go back and bring those guys, those 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 natives to Christ. Now, you talk about somebody that you're taking this thing Jesus a little too far. No, At Urbana 76, Mike and 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 listeners. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot got a five minute standing ovation and she was just bowed down. Cause she didn't want that. You can tell she was kind of horrified, you don't clap for me kind of thing, mm. but you know, you don't find something worth living for until you find something worth dying for. And a lot of people are floating around having no idea.
1: And, and the evil
2: one wants to keep them that way. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was a life changing thing for me. <laughs>
1: Well, and what um, Helen went through being raped, that brings us back to the sexual realm where a lot of people either in the church have been sexually abused or people who are in bondage to pornography or are sexting, a lot of youth with that. And so Mm -hmm. what is your take Mm -hmm. on what's going on in the sexual realm in the body of Christ?
2: Yeah, wow. Yeah, a wrenching, wrenching question. Well, you know, Mike, I think the bottom line is we've decided that whether our sexual addiction, which we're sucking up enjoying, or whether we're renouncing it, you know, and fighting with it, but still engulfed in the battle, or whether something horrible has happened to us and we're buried in shame, for whatever reason, we've decided that sexual brokenness is bigger than Jesus. That's what we've done, and we don't want to talk about it because pastors, and I've been a pastor for, for almost 40 years. You know, pastors, it's like, I don't want to deal with it because I can't make it go away magically. So, you know, my minister has got to profess only, so I don't want to deal with it. And by the way, you know, one out of six, I think you quoted this, Mike, one out of six pastors admit to having sexual intercourse with a personer. I think you should put that on one of your billboards, too. And that'll really get a reaction. Um, but, you know, core answer, Mike, is it, it, it's bigger than us, and we don't want to admit it. But what we need to do is fall down before God. I love your calls to that. That's the only answer. For God, God and to God. We've been adulterous. We've been idolatrous. We don't have a clue what to do. And what does God do in the Bible with people like that? Without fail, he loves us. He redeems us. He restores our first love, which has got to be him. We get a new affection. We get a new passion to risk it all for holiness. And he lifts us up. The, the woman in Luke 7, you refer to, is one of my greatest biblical heroes. She's stuck in all kinds of sin. And she comes in front of the snooty Pharisees and risks that, goes rogue in front of them. And what does Jesus do? He receives her kissing his feet wiping his feet with her her tears and then he raises her up and the pharisees he says well you love little so you forgive forgiven little i mean mike we don't get it pharisees were adored in that culture adored and for jesus to raise up this whore you know no but we got to get flat out next to her i want to be next to her Wiping Jesus' feet with my tears. And that will be the revolution. As you, as you well know, sexual addiction is but a symptom of our deeper problem. And that is we are playing games with Christianity. We need to go all out with him. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be scary. We're going to feel out of control. It's going to be painful. But as Rocky Balboa said, you got to take the hits and keep on going. And the church doesn't want to take the hits. And we pastors and leaders got to be the first ones to say, I sinned. I blew it. And I and I did in my ministry. I didn't have sex with anyone, but I had a pornography addiction for 25 years. I was 25 years uh, in that, and then I was sober for a long time. But then my secret idolatry of women began to creep out and when they would get real upset. I would hold them, and I idolatrized women and, and looked for a mother figure. Well, they were looking for a father figure, and we worshipped each other together. Did, not, did anything explicit happen sexually? No, but thats I'm not making excuses. It was still sin. I violated boundaries, and I sinned. But I'm repenting, and I'm going public with that story to say, look, us pastors have sinned, and I have but I'm not going to cower and hide underneath my sin because I worship a Jesus who's great enough, big enough, gracious enough to handle all of who Jim Tilly is, not just the easy parts, but all. And I'm going to step out first. Mike, that's what we need to do in the church. You and I, and everybody else, we going rogue means I'm going to step out whether anyone else is or not. I'm going to step out and say, I know a Savior who can handle it, so I'm going to let him handle it. That's what I'm going to do.
1: What is your take on... Why the prayer meeting has vanished from most modern churches?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that one is just um, we're we we're so we're so ignorant about it. We don't teach it, and I think pastors, you know, and I'm pointing myself at the finger this way too. So you know, we don't get deeply trained in it in seminary. That's that the that. Seminary needs a whole overhaul, and we can talk about that more at some point. It needs a whole overhaul, but it needs to pray prepare uh, men and women to be prayers.
1: Hold on, hold on, wait, wait. Do it a lot. Are you saying you're yeah. not getting trained on how to pray when you're going to seminary?
2: How to pray when you're going to seminary? Not really. Huh. You can seek it out, and I did you know, separately, but it's not a required course. Actually, you know, you pray. For an hour with a um, a, a great seasoned prayer, and, and who's a professor, I hope, and the two of you are sitting down for an hour together and just praying, that's not in the required courses. You can find that, and I did, but it's considered, well, it's not a required course, Mike. No, and that needs to change. And that's the source of the problem, you know. So, yeah, prayer, prayer. We need to be willing to be raw and vulnerable with Jesus, the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector just barfed it all out there, Lord be merciful to sinner. And the Pharisee was praying on and on and on, blah 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 And Jesus said another, you know, insane thing. He said the Pharisee was not justified, the tax collector was. The original audience would go, Wah! screaming to the walls with that comment. But so, you know, we make it too hard, Mike, we make it too fancy. But we need, the problem is, you, you said it in a book, we need to get little cells that just start doing it and doing it. And if we get resistance, don't hate those people or get sidetracked. You know, you've got some great stuff in there about forgiveness. Forgive people who are getting your way, but happily, joyfully keep on praying. You know, so it starts by cells and just doing it. And be like Peggy Smith and her sister. I love that story. You know, that got them a revival, you know. And do we we run around thinking God's sort of hoity-toity about revival? No, he loves it. He loves us when we're white hot, not lukewarm. He will, you know, some of the the sovereign, you know, predestination, ultra reform folks of whom I hang out with a lot of those folks. Well, let's not say too much about we're going to have revival, because what if God sovereignly isn't moving that way? He is moving that way all the time. We're the holdup. You know, it's not simple. I mean, it's simple, but it's hard. And it's hard because we're afraid of looking foolish. And all that stuff we need to crucify, we need to take it to the cross and just barf it out there. You know, I don't think Peggy and Sister Smith, you know, O.V., oh, oh, great great, uh, exalted bah. you know, they just spit it out there and did it. And it'll happen again if we do it. It's, it's on our plate. It's not on, God. we've got to convince God to talk into this. How ridiculous.
1: I would love to have a church service where it was just prayer and nothing else.
2: Yeah. And you know what? I've had them, Mike. And those are awesome. And that gets more and more opposed and opposed. You know, we have to just be white hot and mindful of, you know, Satan's going to put his best troops against that one. And you just have to never give up. You know, oh. Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. His heart was full of love and soft. But his face was like, you know, I'm I'm on on flinching. I'm like a flint. And I think that's what in in, in the Blazing Grace we need to do for each other. Keep each other white hot. Keep each other like flint about. We're going to pray and nobody's going to distract us. No one's going to stop us. No one's going to shut us down. You know, we'll just do it. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, that's the bottom line.
1: So talk about the Wednesday morning prayer meeting that you're participating in. What? What does that look like, and what do you see?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think it's neat. I know Tim, uh, whom I just love like crazy, uh, prays up a sense of, you know, what the Holy Spirit is laying on his heart. And, you know, I know, I know, Tim takes a long time to pray that up. And by golly, we ask God questions, and if we listen long enough, he responds. He's not mute or defer to him, you know. And so Tim gets an urging there and leads us to a scripture passage, and we read that, and I think people just chew into that, and they pray, you know, the Holy Spirit leads it, Mike, that's why it's great. You know, Tim Tim would be the first one to say he doesn't, but the Holy Spirit will lead us, uh, themes in that scripture, or something will emerge from ourselves, and you know, that we pray for, and I think it's become a safe place, and this is key, I think, for any prayer meeting, where... Um, we focus a lot on us. We follow Jesus' instructions when he says, Take the log out of your own eye. Well, that's when I'm there, and I think others do too. That's what we pray for. Mm. You know, Lord, oh boy, look at those porn problems out there. Well, we pray for the lust and wickedness in our own hearts
1: first. Jim, 45 seconds. Woo. Anything you want to say?
2: I say with the brave heart, you know, don't cringe in fear. What you'll be remembered for is what you give all out for Jesus Christ. One life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last and last. That's what I want to say. And thank you, Mike.
1: Well, amen, brother. I love it. And uh, amen. thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been great, Mike. I look forward to more.
1: See you next week. Do you want
0: to be free?